Jackson, the iPad is also in the backpack. Just a message for my son. Paul is wrapping up his letter to the Philippians, and as he does, he calls them to stand firm. Chapter 4, verse 1, he said, Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm, thus, in the Lord, my beloved. Stand firm, Paul was saying, against the false teaching. Stand firm against false believers. A a false believer is someone who calls themselves a Christian who is obviously not. Stand firm against division. Stand firm in persecution. Don't budge is the message that Paul was giving to the Philippians in the last chapter here of his letter. I was reminded of this stand firm theme of Paul actually during a a basketball game this past week. In basketball, a charging foul is called when a player makes significant contact with a defender in an established position. So a couple of my boys play middle school basketball and their coach tries to teach them how to, when they're on defense, establish position and draw a charging foul because it's a a turnover. But it's very difficult to do. In fact, he offers the team $5 if any of them can actually pull it off in a game, which has proved to be a good incentive. Now, it's very difficult to do because... As a defender, you have to get to a spot on the floor, the right spot, and you have to stand firm even though another player, often bigger than you, is running directly towards you full speed. And if you move your feet at all, no foul. So you cannot budge. You have to stand firm, not move, and take the hit, which usually picks you up off of your feet and sends you to the ground. That is a great image of what Paul is talking about here. Paul is saying no matter what, no matter what's coming at you, no matter the size, no matter the speed, no matter how insurmountable it might look, you need to stand firm. So as we are standing firm in the Lord, Paul in verses 4 through 7, he gives us three additional instructions. They are number one, rejoice in the Lord always. Here Paul is after joy. Two, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Here Paul is after gentleness. And three, do not be anxious about anything. And here Paul is after peace. Now, these are difficult instructions to follow. And so, thankfully, Paul gives us some secrets to obeying them. He, he gives us help in these verses. We read Paul's first instruction last week. Rejoice always. And the secret given was to rejoice in the Lord. 
meaning that the ground beneath our rejoicing, the ground beneath our joy is knowing Christ. That's the secret to rejoicing always. When we struggle to rejoice, we know we need to think about Christ. So this morning, we're going to consider Paul's second and third instruction here. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone and do not be anxious about anything. But before I preach this sermon, we should pray together. Will you please bow your heads with me? Our Father in heaven, we need your help this morning to understand your word. We need your help today to apply your word. We know that our minds will be dark and our hearts will be cold unless you intervene. So would you, by your Holy Spirit now, give us light and heat, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have not already, would you please open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4. If you're using one of those Bibles that you'll find under the seat in front of you, you'll find Philippians 4 on page 637. Let me read the text in its entirety one more time before we begin. This is Philippians 4. And since we're just looking at the second and third instruction, I'm going to read verses 5 through 7. This is the word of God. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. So there is Paul's first instruction that we're looking at today. It's in verse 5. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. So this word here, it's translated reasonableness. Some of your Bible versions have a different word. It means a gentle spirit. A gentle spirit. According to Don Carson, it is, quote, a kind of self-willed, self-effacing kindness. So this is the opposite of contention. It is the opposite of self-seeking. By the way, this is so important to Paul that it's one of the qualifications he lists for an elder. You can't be an elder in a church unless you are reasonable like this, unless you have this kind of a gentle spirit. Now, when you're dealing with things like the Philippians were dealing with or whatever you might be dealing with, when you're dealing with false teaching, that's what they had, or false believers or division in your church or persecution or suffering of some kind for you, or sickness, or gossip, whatever it is. Whatever it is, whatever the issue is between you and other people, the temptation is to not be gentle. That's always the, is the temptation is never to be gentle. 
The temptation is always to not be gentle, but to be harsh. Things aren't going your way between you and someone else, especially if it's unfair. Your temptation is to be harsh. Your temptation is to be contentious. Your temptation is to pick a fight. Your temptation is to be more concerned about your personal offense than anything else. Your temptation is to turn inward. And this usually, you know this, it usually does not go well. Proverbs 15.1 is true. It says, a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. This rightfully is one of my wife's favorite verses to quote to me. It is something that I need to hear. Remember, a soft answer turns away wrath. A harsh word is going to stir up anger. So Paul is saying, no. Don't respond toward others. Don't respond toward one another that way. Be gentle. Be gentle. Be considerate. These are other synonyms for this Greek word. Be kind. Be tolerant. Be fair. Be self-effacing. And what does Paul say? In fact, be known for this. So he's not just saying be gentle. He says, let this be known to who? To everyone. In other words, let let this reputation precede you. If you're known for something, this is what you should be known for. How are you known for responding when things get difficult between you and others? Ask yourself that. How do you respond when things are difficult between you and others? What are you known for? What do you want to be known for? What does God, through Paul, tell us to strive to be known for? Reasonableness. Kindness. Gentleness. I know this is a temptation for men and women alike because men and women alike are sinners, but my experience has been that this is a far greater temptation for men. Especially those of you who are husbands and fathers. You will be tempted when it doesn't go your way and to get your own way to use what comes natural for you, your tone, your countenance, your facial expression to intimidate those around you. Your wife, your kids, will, when you do certain things and you make certain facial expressions and you use certain tones, they will be intimidated. And Paul's saying, that's wicked. That's wicked. It's wrong. Save that for your enemies. Save that for someone who's trying to hurt those you love. What you should be known for in your church, in your family, is your reasonableness. 
You're a gentle man. You're a gentle woman. You're kind. You're slow to anger. You're considerate. You're patient. What's our reputation? So that's the instruction. <laughs> What's the secret? How, how do we do this, Paul? Thankfully, Paul doesn't do this. God doesn't do this. The Bible doesn't do this. It doesn't just rattle off commands. It gives us what we need to actually follow this. So verse 5, let's read it again. It's there. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. The Lord is at hand. That could mean a couple things. It could be temporal. It could be spatial. In other words, it, it, it could mean, when it says the Lord is at hand, it could mean time. It could mean the Lord is coming back soon. Or it could mean location. The Lord is at hand. The Lord is present with you now. I think Paul is talking location here. Jesus is here with us all the time. As a Christian... Jesus is abiding in you by the presence of his Holy Spirit right now. It doesn't get any closer. The Lord is at hand. And knowing that, being mindful of that is a secret to treating others well. Psalm 73, 28. I have an Old Testament text and a New Testament Psalm 73, 28. But for me, the psalmist said, but for me it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord my refuge that I may tell of all your works. And then you remember this, Jesus said in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, he came and said to his disciples, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Go therefore, make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Wow, that's a lot. That's quite a charge. That's quite a mission. That's quite a burden. What does Jesus say next? Behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. He is with us. Have you ever been in the middle of a conflict with your spouse or one of your children or a friend and someone you respect unexpectedly walks into the room? Has this ever happened to you? Okay, Ryan, it hasn't happened to you. Thank you, Patrick, for your honesty. <laughs> Have you ever, okay, how about this? Have you ever walked into the room and someone was in a conflict with their spouse or their child or maybe a friend? And what happened? Did you notice what happened in you or happened in the other person when, when that dynamic changed, right? You straighten up. Okay, your countenance completely changes. Your tone completely changes. You're like, it's a miracle, right? You're like a different person. I think this is reality. Most of us are better behaved when people we respect are around us. Most of us are, we're better behaved when people we respect are around us. And we're, we're, we're the worst behaved with, with people among whom 
we've already blown our reputation. I think that's my only explanation for why I am the way I am sometimes around my wife and kids. They already know who I am. There's no pretense anymore. They know the issues. They know the problems. And so I have a sinful tendency, right, to, to, to be myself. You know, with those with whom, you know, there's, there's not some reputation I'm trying to uphold anymore. But with someone who maybe hasn't seen that or hasn't seen that side of me, and maybe I'm in a conflict with somebody, and you walk into the, oh, 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 yes. And glory be to God for this day and this conflict, which will lead to our sanctification. Blessings and forgiveness. That's silly, right? That's not, that's not reality. We say silly things to people like, I love that I can be myself around you. If somebody says that to you, bad things are coming. When I say I can be myself around you, that means that I can say terrible things and do terrible things and you won't leave. This is true, right? So think about the secret here. What is Paul saying? He's saying, listen, the Lord is at hand. The Lord is at hand. The Lord Jesus Christ is dwelling in you and among you. And you have the audacity to be pugnacious. You have the audacity to be harsh. You have the audacity to be cold. You have the audacity to intimidate. Be gentle, Paul says. Remember that the Lord Jesus Christ is present. He is in you by His Holy Spirit. He sees what you're doing. He hears what you're saying. If you can remember that in those moments, it is helpful. Therefore, let your gentleness be known to everyone. Okay, next. And this is our last instruction for today, and it's a whopper. Verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything. Stop. That's the command. Do not be anxious about anything. The word is also translated worry. Don't be anxious about anything. Don't worry about anything. Any of you get anxious? Some of you are anxious right now. Any of you worry? Some of you aren't anxious enough. Some of you don't worry enough. That's a totally different subject. There is a good anxiety. There is a good worry. And some of you need to be more anxious. You need to be more concerned about your life and where you're headed. That's not the subject here. Don't be anxious. This is a bad anxious. Don't worry, Paul says, about anything. The vast majority of us, the vast majority of us are going to deal with worry and anxiety on a significant level. That is totally understandable in the sinful world in which we live. 
We're going to get sick. People we love are going to get sick. We're going to lose loved ones. Some of you lost loved ones just this last week. You will be a loss to someone else. We live in a day where information, good information, sad information is coming to us at a pace and a rate that is unprecedented, right? I mean, how, how many of you have, have had, had your mood changed or your day tanked by a notification coming to your phone? A bit of news, maybe from a friend or, or maybe from something going on in this country or somewhere else in the world. I mean, it is, it is heavy at times. And there are, unless, if you're not just checked out, you, you are going to experience... In this lifetime, significant worry and significant anxiety. Mark Twain said, I have suffered a great number of catastrophes in my life. Most of them never happened. Anxiety. Stephen Lawson defined worry as gazing at my problems in self-reliance or self-pity or both rather than looking to the Lord in dependence. Another author calls worry an intense desire for something coupled with a fear that you won't get it. Jesus himself took a strong position, called us not to be anxious, not to worry. In Matthew 6.25, David mentioned Matthew 6 this morning. Jesus said, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. He said in chapter 6.31, therefore, do not be anxious. Jesus said again in Matthew 6.34, therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow. There's Jesus. Don't be anxious about tomorrow. Don't be anxious about the future. Don't be anxious about your life. Don't be anxious. Have you ever thought about why anxiety is so offensive to God? Why is this such a big deal? Why all of these commands to not be anxious? I get how it affects me, maybe how it can affect others. Why is God so offended by anxiety? To be anxious is to doubt God. Every time. To be anxious is to doubt God's goodness toward you. To be anxious is to doubt God's love for you. To be anxious is to doubt God's power and control over your life. That's what anxiety is. God, I'm... You say you love me, I'm doubting that you love me. You say that you're always working for my good, I'm doubting that you're working for my good. You you say that all things will turn out for good, I'm doubting that you have the power to turn this mess into something good. And so I'm anxious about it, I'm fretting about it, I'm worried about it. I have no control over it, but I'm not sure you do either. I'm not sure that if you do have control that you really do love me and you're going to use your control for my... I know your word promises that, but I, I, don't, I don't feel like that right now. And so I'm anxious and I'm mulling it over and I'm thinking about it and I'm worried about it. Anxiety is not 
practicing Psalm 56, 3, which says, when I am afraid, I put my trust in you. Anxiety is not doing that. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. Anxiety is the opposite of trusting God. That's why it's a sin. It's the opposite of trusting God. That's why it's so offensive to God. Listen to Jesus talk about worry and anxiety. This is in Matthew 6, 25 through 30. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. I love the logic of God and the prescription there. What's his prescription there? It's not, it's not Paul's prescription, so we won't spend a lot of time here. But what does Jesus give as the prescription to your anxiety? Go outside and find a bird. Isn't that great? And watch the bird. And think about how anxious that bird is. Have you ever seen an anxious bird? Just freaking out about what, what's next and what he's going to do and what, what his plan is and what tomorrow brings and where his kids are. And You've never seen an anxious bird. So listen to the argument as Jesus goes on. Are you not of more value than the birds? This is good. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if, here's the argument, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? And then what's the indictment at the end to the anxious ones? Will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So what's anxiety? It's little faith. You're not trusting God. And for some of you, this sin of worry and anxiety can even become debilitating. It just knocks your feet out from under you. An unknown author recently said, My growing anxiety over the frequency of my anxiety is causing me to have constant panic attacks. And some of you know what that's like. It's the cycle of anxiety. Charles Spurgeon said, Anxiety does not empty tomorrow of its sorrows, but only today of its strengths. That's what it does. So, we're going to grow anxious. It's going to happen. The question is, how are we going to deal with it? How will we deal with worry? How will we deal with anxiety? How are we going to, how are we going to, to fight this anxiety? How are we going to trust God? So, so Paul, you are commanding us here. All of you, me, Paul, you are commanding us here. Do not be anxious. That's the instruction. What's the secret? How do we, how do, we do this, Paul? Verse 6. 
do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So the secret. The secret to not being anxious or I should say the secret that Paul here mentions. There's other help that Scripture provides. But the secret that Paul gives us is to offer an alternative to worry. It's an alternative to anxiety. It's the alternative to fretting. And it's prayer. It's prayer. Anxiety or worry happens. Right? You don't, it just happens to you. You don't plan it. So you plan out your day and you write your list. Get anxious is not on there. You're not trying to get anxious. So it's dealing with something that just expectedly, unexpectedly happens. So here I am. I'm anxious. I'm, I'm worried. When it happens, it should trigger prayer. If this, if this works the way Paul says, if we do this the way Paul says, is, is when anxiety happens, when worry happens, that sh- in the mind of a Christian, that should trigger prayer. Prayer is not something, in other words, Paul's not saying that prayer is, if you, if you pray, you won't ever get anxious. That's not what the text says. Prayer is not something that if you do it, You'll never worry and you'll never get anxious. Prayer is what you do when you get anxious. Here I am. I'm anxious. I'm worried. What am I going to do? Paul says, here's the alternative. Here's what you must do. You must pray. This just happened for our family two days ago. We're driving to a basketball game and the phone rings and it's a friend. And the friend, we put him on speakerphone and he's, what's he doing on the other line? He's anxious. He's worrying. He's fretting. And so what do we do together on the phone? We pray. Because Paul, you're telling us, don't be anxious. When we're anxious, pray. So here's an anxious friend, a wise anxious friend. And what does he do? He calls a friend and says, can we pray? Verse 6, do not be anxious about anything, but that means rather, instead, here's the Alternative, in everything. So so that means whatever it is that's making you anxious. The big stuff, sweat and small stuff, whatever it is, in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. That's, That's the secret. One commentator says, According to Paul, the way to be anxious about nothing is to be prayerful about everything. That's a good summary of this verse. The way to be anxious about nothing is to be prayerful about everything. We're to pray. Are you anxious? Do you get anxious? Do you worry? I hope you pray a lot. 
I hope you pray as often as you are anxious. I hope you pray as often as you worry. Those of you who are prone to worry and anxiety, start your day with prayer. End your day with prayer and fill your day with prayer. This is the secret. This is how you battle anxiety. This is how you fight worry. This is how you still honor God when you're fretting over things in your life. We want to be like the psalmist in Psalm 139.23. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Search me out, God. Bring them up. Bring them to the surface. We, we can handle them together. Test me. Know my anxious thoughts. Peter gives a similar instruction. It's a, it's a cross-reference to Philippians 4, 6, and 7. In other words, it's a verse in the Bible with a, the same theme going on. Peter says in 1 Peter 5, 7, and remember, Peter is writing to the suffering church. Peter is writing to the, the Christians in full-blown persecution. Suffering more, most likely, than you and I are, probably ever will. So they are confused at what's going on. They're discouraged by what's going on. And so Peter says in his first letter, chapter 5, verse 7, cast all your anxieties on him. Let your requests be made known. That's how Paul says it. Peter says, cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. He says, Christian, you're anxious. What do you do with your anxiety? Cast all your anxiety. Cast all your worry on God. And the reason you do that, according to Peter, is because he cares for you. Think for a minute with me about this word cast. It might not mean what you think. When Peter calls us to cast, to cast our anxieties on God, that word is only one other time in the New Testament. And that's the best way to figure out what a word really means. Go see it used somewhere else in your Bible. So it's used in Luke chapter 19, verse 35. And in Luke 19, 35, here's what's happened. Uh, Jesus is getting ready for his final entry into Jerusalem. He knows that he's going to be arrested and he knows that he's going to be murdered. He, he knows that's what's happening. And he has a way to fulfill prophecy that he's going to come into Jerusalem this last time. He tells his disciples, I want you to go into town. He tells them where to go. And he says, and when you get there, you're going to find a colt. You're going to find a young horse. And I want you to get that horse and bring it back to me. So they've done that. And then Luke 19.35 says, and they brought a, it, a colt. They brought it to Jesus and and here's the word cast and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they then set Jesus on it. 
So, so picture this horse and, and picture everyone taking their coats and taking their cloaks and, and laying them on the back of this colt, this weight that is just silly for a horse, right? This is not going to crush this horse. And they're laying these cloaks on the back of the horse. That's what you do with your anxieties on God. You lay them on his back. You give him the burden. Give him the weight. Whatever it is that's bringing you anxiety, drape it on God. Because, don't forget the because, because he loves you. Peter says, because he cares for you. So you need to ask yourself questions when you're anxious. Do you believe God loves you? Does God love you? Do you believe God cares for you? Do you believe God cares for you even when things are not going well? You don't want to believe that when things are going well, God cares for you. And then when things aren't going well, he doesn't care for me. Right? He loves me. He loves me not. He loves me. He loves me not. That's not God. He loves you. He cares for you. Do you believe that God is in control? I hope you believe all of these things. Do you believe God orchestrates every single circumstance in your life that there is not, as R.C. Sproul said, a maverick molecule in the entire universe? There's not a maverick moment in the entire universe. God is orchestrating all things for his glory and for your good. All of those things are true. Christian, God loves you. Christian, God cares for you. Christian, God is in complete and total control of your circumstances. Christian, God is directing the affairs of your life so that he may receive maximum glory and you may receive maximum good. Do you believe that? Now, if and when you believe that, what do you start doing with your anxieties? You cast them on him. You pray to him. You, in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests, Paul says, be made known to God. Doesn't he already know them? I mean, look at how Paul says that. We're praying here, let your requests be made known to God. Well, why do I need to do that? Doesn't, does, does God not know? Oh, brother, here's another, another one, another request. More, more prayers. This is not talking about getting God information that he doesn't have. That's not what's going on. Let your requests be made known to God because he doesn't know what your requests are until, he, until you bring them to him. But that's not what this means. So to understand what this means, letting your requests be made known to God, you need to remember that you're in a relationship with God. Okay, what kind of a relationship are you in with God? He is your what? He is your Father. He is your father. You were a child and now you are his child. You were an orphan 
lost at the fall, and now you are his adopted son or daughter, and you're brought into his home. Jesus is your brother. You all get the same inheritance. You all sit at the same dinner table. You share a room. The blessings are the same for all of you. You're, you're equally loved and cared for. Affection poured out on you. If you're a Christian, that is your relationship with God. You are his son. You are his daughter. And he is your father. So that's the relationship. So when you pray to God, when you make your request known to God, it's not like you're giving him information that he doesn't have. You're, you're relating to your father. You're, you're, picture this, you're climbing up like a little child. You're climbing up into his lap and you're, you're crying. You're telling him your fear, what you're afraid of, what you're anxious about, what you're worried about. You're sharing with him. You're relating to him as a son or as a daughter. Those of you who are parents, you have your kids tell you things all the time that you already know. And you don't, you don't shoo them away when they do that. Your, your kids don't come to you, right? My son doesn't come to me and say, I love you, Dad. And say, now, son, we've, I know. We've already established that. You, you said that. We don't need to say that again. No, what is, what he, he's telling me something I already know. But he loves me. And when he tells me that, I want to say it back to him. And, and I love you. I love you more, and I love you more. You know the game. Okay, because this is what you do with somebody that you love and care about. You tell them things that they already know because that's who you want to tell. Sometimes my kids will make requests of me, and I know what their request is before they even make it. For example, I've got a home office, and it's, it's detached. It's a shed that we converted to an office. So there are certain times of the day if I'm working there in the afternoon and my six-year-old girl is home from school and my wife knows where I'm going with this. If I hear her little steps outside and she knocks on the door and she comes in, I know what she's going to ask me. Every time, I I know what she's going to ask me. She's going to say, Daddy, can you print me a coloring page? Every single time. Now the girl has like 350 coloring books. But she wants me to print her a coloring page. Now, why does she want me to print her a coloring page? I know part of it is, you know, that maybe there's something cooler online, but it's the same picture every time. Like it's the My Little Pony Mermaids. I know, here it is, and we're going to print it. You printed this one yesterday. There's something else going on here, right? So when she comes out to do that, what does she do? She gets up in my lap. And we, and we just scroll through the, the same pictures over and over again. And if I'm not impatient and I'm welcoming the interruption, right, I'm kissing her on the cheek and we're, we're talking and no, not this one, no, not this one. And oh, surprise, this one. <laughs> and, then, and then we print it and then she's off and she's, she's back in the house. Now, I'm blowing it, right? If she comes out and she runs in and, just, and I just say, stop. I don't need any new information here. I already know what you want. 
You want the coloring page. And I know which one. Here you go. I found it. I saved it on my desktop. It's printing. Okay, I'll be in in a little while with it. I'm blowing it if I do that. Because what is it about? I mean, what, what parent? When your child comes to you, like we're being asked to come to God here. When your child comes to you and, 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 and they're confused or they're frustrated or they're hurt and they come to you and ask for your help, what parent doesn't give them help? You help them. You want to help them. You want to fix it. You want it to go well for them. It's on that basis, because God cares for you, that we cast our anxieties on Him. We ask for help. Whenever we're anxious, whenever we're worried. Now, last verse. Verse 7. And this verse answers the question, if you do that, what will happen? If you do that, let your request be made known to God with thanksgiving. If you do that, what is going to happen? If you in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God, what will be the result? And it's not, spoiler alert, it's not you'll get whatever you ask for. You'll get whatever you want. God's not a vending machine in the sky. He's not, he's not a genie. You're not making your wishes, and he's bound to grant them. That's, that's not what it says. It doesn't say, hey, you're really anxious, you're really worried, and if you pray to God, he fixes it so that there's nothing to be anxious about anymore. That rarely happens for me. I mean, rarely. My prayer is almost always, God, take this thing away that's making me anxious or worried. And it's, right, I have my A prayer. And then my B prayer. And the B prayer is, and in God, but your will be done. And if you choose not to do that, give me strength, give me comfort. You know, probably the same way that you pray. And I don't know why I keep doing A and then B. Because A, I'm telling you, it, for me, it rarely happens. A almost never, ever happens. It's always B. It should be B then A. Now, Paul's promise here is not that if you do that, everything's going to change the way you want it to change. Let's read it again. If we do this, verse 7, and the peace, peace. Isn't that the opposite of anxiety? And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Jesus. What will happen? That's a promise. That's a promise. If you pray in your anxiety, the peace of God, doesn't tell us the timing of this, not like instant. The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. So think about this peace with me. We know peace is the opposite of anxiety. Anxiety is, right, everything's 
you know, there's like the, 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 the ocean and the waves and everything's moving and you're like the ship and it's tossing you about. And the opposite of that would be if the storm was calmed and the waters were calmed and the wind stopped and there's peace, right, in your soul. This peace, he said, it surpasses all understanding. Isn't that the truth? Isn't that the truth? I wonder if you've seen this kind of peace in you or in someone else. We've seen these, these seen in, in the couple who loves Jesus and just lost their little daughter and they have peace. That surpasses understanding. That makes no sense. That's totally illogical. Or, or, or peace in, in this man who spent 14 years being tortured in a Romanian prison. That, that peace surpasses understanding. It makes no sense. There's no explanation for that. There's no reason for that. Or Paul. Paul is an example of this peace. It is, it is beyond understanding. You can't explain it any other way. What does this peace do? It will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. It's a peace that it guards your hearts. It guards your minds. That word used for guard, it, it also means to confine. It means to detain it means to watch over. Listen how Paul uses it in Galatians 3, verse 23. Where he says, Now before faith came, we were, here it is, held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. It's this word held captive. This word, imprisoned, it's used negatively there, but you get the idea. There was a time, Christian, when you were held captive by the law. There was a time when, when your, your, your minds and your hearts were, were held captive by something else. And now, through prayer, in your anxiety... Your hearts and minds can be detained, imprisoned by the peace of God. And Paul says that peace is accessed through prayer. To pray. Psalm 55, 22. Cast your burden on the Lord. That's the if. And here's the then. If you do that, then, and he will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. For Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty eight, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. That's the if. And the then is, and I will give you rest. Or Psalm 91, 1 through 2. Here's the if. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High. If you dwell in the shelter of the Most High, here's the then. He will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. 
In conclusion, here are Paul's two instructions one more time. Verse 5. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Are you gentle? Are you anxious? Are you prayerful? This is for everyone. Adults, kids, are you gentle? Are you known for gentleness, kindness? Are you kind with your siblings? Are you kind with your friends? Kind to your relatives, kind to your mom and dad? Are you kind to your neighbors? Are you known for this? Is that your reputation? Is that what people expect of you? Are we gentle? Are we anxious? Are we worried? Are we prayerful? One of the things that inevitably happens, young and old, when we think about God's Word and when we think through and hear sermons is we feel bad. We feel bad. Oh, I'm not this. I'm not that. I just, I just did that this morning. I, just, I, I see how I fell short this, this last week. I'm not doing what I should be doing. I'm, I'm doing what I should not be doing. You feel bad. That's a great thing. It's called the conviction of sin. You're in real trouble if you never feel bad. We experience the conviction of sin. For those of you who struggle with anxiety this morning, you're thinking about or should be thinking about how your anxiety is sin against God. How your lack of gentleness is selfishness and sin toward others you're supposed to love. That in being not gentle and in being anxious, you are living your life against God. Against the way that He has called you to live. You're not bearing the fruit that He has called you to bear. And it's good to feel convicted about that. J.C. Ryle says, A right knowledge of sin lies at the root of all saving Christianity. Martin Luther made it very clear that repentance isn't a one-time thing. It's a daily thing. It's a daily thing, Christian. If you're not repenting every single day, something's wrong. Because you've got stuff to repent of every single day. And a right knowledge of sin lies at the root of all saving Christianity. So what now? I am anxious. I, I, I don't pray the way I should. I, I need to pray more. I'm not gentle I, I use my strength and I use my position and I use things in ways I shouldn't use them. I'm not doing these things I should be doing. So what now? Christ came because you're a failure. That's why he came. 
because you and I screw this up and, and we, we keep screwing it up. And we, we, we do the same things over and over again. We're dense. We think we're through something that shows up again and we're not through it and you know, here we are again. So the good news is that Christ came for that. So what do we do? We repent again. Don't tire of repenting. Every time you repent, every time, and by repent we mean turn. You turn from sin and turn to Christ. You again, again, you forsake sin and put faith in Christ. And this is happening over and over again in the life of a Christian. I'm sorrowful. I'm sorry, God. I've, I've done this again. I'm not where I want to be with this. I, I, I'm, not, I'm not pleased. I don't want to offend you. I don't want to be unkind to others. I don't, I don't want to be here anymore. So, so what do you do, Christian? How do you handle that? Don't be discouraged. Don't be discouraged. Repent again. And again, commit your ways to Christ. He loves you no matter what. He's, he's in this with you till the end no matter what and in him is all the strength you need to grow let's pray our father in heaven help us to cast all our anxious thoughts on you all the things we worry about and are anxious about God the the things that we're worried about in our own soul, the things we're worried about in our family, the things we're worried about in our kids, the things we're worried about in our friends and in our church and in our nation and in our country and in this world. and God, the things we, we worry about at our jobs and the, the, the things we worry about in regards to money and the things we worry about with health and uh, the, the anxieties, God, that we can, many of us, get caught up in. Help us, God, prompt us even to cast our anxieties on you, to throw them like heavy coats on your back. And then we pray, God, that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to feel the peace that you bring that is beyond all understanding, that promises to guard us, to, to keep us. God, if we're not gentle toward others the way you are toward us. God, would you bring conviction of that sin and then give us in those moments the, the wherewithal to, to remember that Jesus is here, that he is at hand, that he is, he is in the office, he's in the living room, he's in the lobby, he's in the car, and so we ought to let our gentleness be known to everyone as we represent you. Oh, God, so help us. Uh, we need your help. Thankful we are, God, that you continually forgive us and give us all that we need for life and for godliness. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.